Well, I want to welcome you to church this morning. If you are here, if you're at our Awatsuki campus, I love you. I'm so glad that you chose to come to church. It means a lot to me, and I hope that God really does something in your life today. I believe that he brought you here for a purpose. Do you believe that? If you do, say amen. This is one of those churches where you say amen. All right? All right. If you need to, like, lift your hand up while we're preaching today, uh, because you're going to say, like, oh, man, that's me. That's God is doing something. God is speaking to me. You go ahead and do that. If you need to stand up to your feet, you go ahead and do that. If you need to clap, you do that. If you need to shout, I want to let you just know right now, you shout it out. Sometimes he makes me want to shout, right? I'm continuing this series, Stand Firm. Stand Firm. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore... Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And watch this. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. It doesn't say you might be standing firm. It doesn't say you might make it. It says you will be standing firm. Many people come to church on Sunday and they're hoping to hear something helpful and practical to their everyday lives. They want to hear about those issues. And I love talking about practical topics. I hope that you always feel like what we talk about is practical. But I want you to know, when we talk about these practical issues, marriage and finances and and being a parent, they're all important. But the enemy of God isn't focused on destroying your marriage. He is not focused on messing up your finances. He has a far higher aim. He seeks to destroy your body and soul. Do you realize you're in a battle? You're in a battle, but if you are equipped and on guard, we know that you can stand firm and resist the strategies of the devil, and that when it is all over, you know, I will be standing firm. I want you to understand that today as I talk about spiritual warfare. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk, talk about the devil. We're going to talk about demons. I have never preached a message where I have specifically taught about demons, And I'm going to do that today. I tend to avoid maybe talking about things like that, like a lot of people do, because people can be so weird about subjects like this, like spiritual warfare. Like, you start talking about spiritual warfare, and all the crazies come out of the woodworks. So sometimes we avoid these topics, or sometimes we talk about them too much. And some of you know people like that. They talk about things like this too much. I want to read to you from C.S. Lewis, his book, his his book, which is really interesting, and I recommend it, called The Screwtape Letters, which will help you understand, I think, spiritual warfare. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to believe in their existence, or sorry, one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So this is the difference between substition and superstition. One is not believing and one is believing too much. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. They're just as happy if you are too focused on them or if you disbelieve in them. And that brings me to this. The two most dangerous mistakes that you can make in spiritual warfare. You want to know these. 
It's to underestimate the enemy or to overestimate the enemy. You can underestimate the enemy and believe, well, devil isn't really a real like person. I mean, I believe in, you know, evil in a general sense, but I don't believe in actual little demons with horns. And you think, you know, they're, they're not really a threat to me. I, I don't have that concern. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that's interesting. It's interesting the inconsistency that people have where they'll say, I do believe in a supernatural God who is good, and I believe in a real personal Jesus, but they won't believe in a real personal devil. It seems very inconsistent, doesn't it? And we should not underestimate the enemy. We know that what we read in that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And the Greek word struggle that is used, because there's multiple words that could have been used there, but the one that was used to describe our struggle with the enemy is a word that describes hand-to-hand physical combat. We are wrestling with the enemy. That means that it's a real struggle. Because if you get in a fight with someone and it's hand-to-hand and you're wrestling with that person, like I mean, it has gotten real at that point. The threat is real. On the other hand, you can overestimate the enemy. And I run into people all the time who are obsessed with the supernatural. And you hear them talk about their life. They're constantly fighting off demon attacks, right? Like every time their car battery dies, it's a demon. Every time they get a cold, the devil is trying to attack them. Anytime they have an overdue library book, demons are after them. Prices go up at Starbucks, it's the schemes of the enemy. People like this, like they're, they're over concerned and obsessed with the supernatural and they're seeing demons. There's not, demon, there's not a demon hiding in every bush or in every cactus, I don't know. It, or, there aren't demons hiding in your closet hoping to attack you. But I think we can become both vulnerable when we disbelieve and we underestimate or when we overestimate and become obsessed. We're not supposed to overestimate it either because the passage we read said, be strong in the Lord. Be strong. You should be confident. You shouldn't be afraid of the enemy because you will be standing firm. So I don't want you to have a balance between those two because I don't believe in balance as a pastor. I believe in having a full and complete picture, which is more complex and nuanced than simply balancing between two things. Because more than one thing can be true at the same time, and oftentimes they are. More than one thing is true, more than one thing is happening. Our spiritual life is four-dimensional. It's not just a simple balancing act between two extremes. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. But I'm going to kind of try to explain this in a simple way. I want you to have a new nuanced understanding of spiritual warfare. There was a 17th century preacher named Richard Baxter. He wrote a book about melancholy, which would be called depression. And he was writing about some of the possible causes of this affliction. He said, one, it could be physical. It could be a person that needs rest or food. Maybe this person has a chemical imbalance and need medicine. Two, it could be psychological. Psychological issues from your past, maybe you were, you were, you were abused and now you know, you're, you're needing love and affirmation because you have a bad self-image. Three, it could be moral. It could be that you have sin in your life and you feel guilty about it or that someone has sinned against you and you're angry and you need to re- repent of that sin and forgive that person. Or four, it could be a demonic cause, but, and we're going to talk about that, but it's probably a combination of all of those things. And you need to understand that there's probably more than one thing going on in your life spiritually at the same time. I want you to have that mature understanding. So I'm gonna talk about who we fight, the devil, what we fight, his strategies, and how we fight with the armor of God, which is the gospel. So who we fight, who do we fight? The devil, 
The devil, he's, he's dangerous. The devil, I got the devil emoji up here, just so you could picture it a little better. The way the news depicts what's going on in our world, there are racial tensions, there are international wars and threats of war, there's so much political drama, you would think that we're all living in a constant battle against bad people. Wouldn't you, wouldn't, you just, wouldn't you think naturally that there are bad people out there and we need to stand against bad people? But we read in Ephesians 6, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting against spiritual forces, which are described as being powers and, and, and unseen enemies in the heavenly places. It doesn't mean that people don't participate in evil. People are sometimes used by evil to do evil. So people can participate in evil, but the enemy wants you to believe that people are your real enemy. When they're not, your true enemy is spiritual. So you're involved in a spiritual war. And some Westerners have a harder time wrapping their minds around that because we like things to be logical and we want to have a natural explanation for everything. It's called naturalism or materialism. But in Africa and in Asia and parts of the Eastern world, spiritual warfare is not a weird concept. And we shouldn't discard those cultures. We should let them kind of help us understand this. And we should let the Bible teach us how to think about this. Some in the West, they, they believe that, you know, the devil can't be real, that everything has a natural cause, that there is obviously bad things that take place in the world. Um, these bad things have got to have a natural Explanation like you know, psychological issues or sociological issues or uneducated uh, people who do these things, they've got to just got to be ignorant people who do these types of things that, that we see. And, and yet, I'll spare you reading a bunch of quotes, but sociologists, pathologists, psychologists are having an increasingly difficult time reconciling the evil in the world with natural explanations. They're saying we can't, we can't bridge the gap and we can't understand. We thought it was about education and sociology, but then something like World War II happens and you see a Holocaust taking place or genocide takes place or a person becomes a serial killer who has no reason to. And so you, you look at those things, you say, can't just be natural causes, but that confusion that they experience isn't really a problem for us because the Bible has no problem explaining these issues. The Bible says that there is evil in the world and that evil comes from two races of beings which were created by God and given free will and both chose to reject God and turn against him, angels and humans. You realize that God created angels and he created them good. God created humans, he created them good. God created the devil and the devil was an angel. He was known by the name Lucifer. There are three angels named in the Bible, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. So we know that these were probably the, the top three highest ranking angels. Some theologians believe that Lucifer might have been the highest ranking angel. We know it says in Ezekiel 28, 14, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God. This is talking to Satan, he was an angel created by God. And some verses lead us to believe that he might have been uh, affiliated with the, the music in heaven. He might have led the singing to God in heaven at one point, which is why I never trust worship pastors. <laughs> Fool me once. <clears throat> we know that he was beautiful and highly exalted. He had access to God. God created all angels without sin 
and gave them free will. So Lucifer was created as a beautiful, good being by God, and yet he was given free will, and sin welled up in him, and he was filled with pride. He wanted to supplant God's place and become like God. It says in Isaiah 14, 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. This is to Lucifer. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus was there. He saw it. And now where did the demons come from? One third of the angels who were in heaven chose to follow Lucifer in rebellion against God. It's a bad choice, obviously. Choose your friends wisely. It says in Revelation 12, 3 through 9, it starts with some imagery. An enormous red dragon, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. One third of the angels chose to follow Lucifer in rebellion and they were cast out of heaven by God. And then the human race, we also received free will from God. We believed the devil's lies. Adam and Eve were told by Lucifer, you can be like God. That sounds familiar, right? That's the same lie he told himself. I want to be like God. Then he went to humans. You can be like God if you'll eat this fruit and disobey God. They tried it, and they also allowed evil to come into their hearts. And that's why we have these problems in the world today where you see evil taking place. Because God, in his mighty power, he does not want to be loved by robots. He wants human beings and angels alike to have free will and choose to serve him. I want to correct some common misconceptions about Jesus and the devil. If you will Google search on your phone right now, you don't have to do it, but if you do an image that will come up, Jesus versus the devil, of Jesus and the devil arm wrestling. Just kind of like, like this, right? And there's this image that a lot of people have of Jesus and the devil as two epic foes battling against each other in this epic struggle that's happening in the supernatural world. And this is a very poor way to understand spiritual warfare. Jesus and the devil are in no way on level playing ground. This is not Luke Skywalker battling off Darth Vader. This is not Mayweather McGregor. Jesus is God. And the devil is a created being who was created by God. Whenever you create something, you have complete and total authority over that creation, don't you? The devil is far inferior to God. Although he is powerful, he does have a degree of power. But I want you to understand some of the differences. God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere at once. He can be everywhere he wants to be at any given time, which is so good for us. That means no matter where you go, God is there. God is there. Satan, on the other hand, is not. Satan is one person. He is one being. There is one Satan, and there are seven billion of people, of you, on the planet. Think about this. That means you have probably never had a direct encounter with the devil. But the devil has um, people who help him, other angels who we would call demons, who do his bidding. And that's how he influences and tries to affect people and destroy Humanity, these demons do his bidding. So God is omnipresent, 
and God is omniscient. Omniscient means he knows everything. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your mind. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. God knows everything, and we see evidence that Jesus was God in the flesh. It says in John 2.25, he knew what was in each person's mind. Wouldn't that be crazy if you were in a room with Jesus and he just started calling you out because of what you were thinking? He just looks at you and he starts shaking his head. I'm, I'm sorry, you know? Like, can't get anything past this guy. He's God. In 1 Kings 8.39, it says, God alone knows every human heart. So Satan does not. Satan is not God. He's, so he's not all-knowing. He does not know what's in your mind. He cannot read your thoughts. He does not know what's in your heart. But understand this. He doesn't need to understand and know what's in your heart. Because the devil and demons are eternal beings, and they have been around for thousands of years watching human behavior, and they've been tempting, and they've been destroying. So they know how you are likely to react as a human being who wrestles with sin, and they're very effective in their schemes and strategies. That is why we are guarded or we are warned to stand guard and be guarded against the attacks of the enemy because their schemes and strategies can be very dangerous. Can the devil hear our prayers, pastor? Can the devil hear our prayers? I can understand why that might be concerning, right? Because you don't want the enemy eavesdropping in on what you're talking to God about. But I want you to know you don't need to be concerned. One, what's he going to do anyway? You're praying to the almighty God of the universe. The devil can know what you're praying about all day. doesn't mean he can do anything about what God's going to do. Secondly, I don't think the devil wants to sit around. I don't think demons want to hang around and listen to your prayers. Because why? They hate truth. They hate truth, and they hate whenever you recognize God's authority and give him praise and put your trust in him. So when the devil hears you praying, I think he's like, I'm out of here. I don't think they want to listen anywhere. Jesus tells us that some demons are more evil than others, and we see in this passage that we read that there are different levels of demons and rank among angels and demons. The passage mentioned rulers, authorities, and powers. That's referencing three types of ranking uh, systems among demons. We don't know a lot about it, and I'll talk about that more at the end. 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert, stay alert, stay alert, exclamation point. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He's no laughing matter. He's a great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So do not underestimate him. We fight against a true enemy. So we fight the devil, but what do we fight? We fight his strategies. It said in Ephesians 6 that we've got to watch out for the schemes, the strategies of the devil. So how does the devil, how do demons want to attack you and destroy you? Um, it's not by trying to possess you. A demon cannot possess a follower of Jesus Christ. You understand that? And I know your children's behavior might have led you to believe otherwise. <laughs> but, but he cannot. A demon cannot come into your body and possess you or control you. Why? Because your home is already occupied by a superior force, the Holy Spirit of God. He dwells inside of you, and he doesn't want any roommates. So the, de the devil doesn't want to try to, he can't possess you, even if he wanted to. Um, I don't believe 
personally that the devil tries to physically attack believers. Um, I don't believe that he really can. We see in Job that he had to ask God's permission to attack Job. We know that God allowed Paul to suffer a thorn in the flesh, but we don't really know what that is, and that seemed like maybe a, a special circumstance. We don't read a bunch of accounts in the New Testament of the disciples talking about demons attacking them. I, I think you would have if they could. They would have been like, we were trying to go start a church, but then these demons jumped out of the bushes and beat us up. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. The devil can attack you, though. He can harass you. And here's how he does it, with lies and slander. Satan is a Hebrew word and a version of the Greek word diabolos. Diabolos kind of sounds like el diablo. Shout out to my friends. We are in Arizona. El diablo, the devil. His name literally means lies and slander. Lies and slander. So the devil primarily wants to destroy you by lying to you. And here's what he does. He wants to play off the sin that is already in your heart. That is his strategy. He lies to you and tries to play off of the sin that's already in your heart. I want you to understand this. A guy named John White wrote a book. He was a Christian counselor. He said, here's the way the devil works. If you want to picture this, go to a piano and open up the top and sing into it. And whatever note your voice is attuned to, the corresponding string will vibrate. I don't know if you knew this would happen. You're like, I, didn't, I, I don't have any idea what note I sing in. And I can tell because I've stood next to you during praise and worship time. <laughs> but it's, it's the heart that counts, right? Not that you sing the right key. So I want you to sing loud and proud. But if you go and you, and you sing into a piano, the corresponding note, whatever is attuned to your voice, it will vibrate. It will vibrate and start to move. That's how the devil works. He aggravates and accentuates the sin that is already inside of you. The devil cannot make a good person bad. The devil makes a flawed person worse. That's what he does. He plays what's already in you. He aggravates what's already in you through lies. He's the father of lies. If you have pride in your heart, he plays off of that. If you have lust in your heart, he plays off of that. If you allow greed into your heart or anger, he lies to you in a way to accentuate and aggravate the sin that is already inside of you. I want you to understand that because this is important in defeating the strategies and the schemes of the devil. Whatever is in your heart, whatever sin you allow to fester in your heart gives the enemy a foothold to attack you in his quest to destroy you. So here's how this works. The devil lies through temptation and accusation. And you're going to recognize some of the things I'll describe here. Some of these will sound familiar to you, but I want to describe kind of some of these things and how they look. Temptation gets you to have too high a view of yourself so that you'll go and do things you shouldn't. This is what the devil did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He tried to get them to have too high a view of themselves. You can be like God, so disobey him and eat this fruit. The devil is the father of lies. He lied to himself first, I believe. He said, I can be like God. And that's why he tempts us. Accusation is trying to get you to have too low a view of yourself. So you'll hate yourself and go and do things you shouldn't. When the devil tempts you, he wants to hide God's holiness from you so you don't think about how much God hates sin. When the devil accuses you, he wants to hide God's love for you so that you don't understand how much his mercy will cover your sin. 
I'm going to paint this picture a little bit more. Temptation, how does the devil tempt us? I'm going to give you some examples, and you might recognize some of this self-talk. You might recognize and remember saying some of these very things to yourself. Temptation, here's what he does. First, he shows the bait and hides the hook. He wants you to look at the short-term pleasure of sin, and he wants to hide the long-term misery that sin brings. Two, he wants to get you to rationalize sin as virtue. I'm not greedy. I'm thrifty. I'm not nosy. I'm concerned. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm sociable. Three, he wants to show you the sins of Christian leaders so you'll say to yourself, well, he did it too. Nobody's that pure. Four, he wants to overstress the mercy of God. Go ahead and do it. Do it. God will forgive you. That's his job after all. Five, he wants to make you bitter over suffering in your life so that you'll say to yourself, man, I've suffered. I've really gone through a hard time. I deserve this. That's why so many powerful men have affairs because they'll say to themselves, man, I've worked so hard. Nobody knows how much I've sacrificed. I deserve this. Six, he wants to show Christians how bad people seem to have such great lives so that you'll look at, you'll look at sinful people having a good time, and you'll say, well, man, I might as well give up trying to play by God's rules because it doesn't pay off. Seven, he wants to get you to use good behavior in one part of your life to justify bad behavior in another part of your life. Like mafia hitmen will say, I'm good to my mom. I kill people, but I'm good to my mom. It's temptation. Go ahead and do it. You're good in this area. Now, what does accusation look like? Let me give you a few examples. Accusations. By he wants to cause us to look more at our own sin than at our Savior. He wants you to be focused on your sin so that it brings you down and causes you to loathe yourself. And you read a lot of parenting books today that will explain that as a parent, you know, every time you give your child a criticism, you should try to give them more compliments. Because for, if you just go like a one-to-one -one ratio of criticism to compliments, the criticisms tend to lodge in our mind deeper because we know there's something wrong with us and it sticks with us. So they kind of recommend that your child needs four or five compliments and pieces of encouragement every time you correct or criticize them. And I think that's how it is for us as Christians. For every one look at our sin, we need four or five looks at our Savior. We need to, re we need to remember our Savior. We should look at our own sin, and we need to confess and repent of the sin in our lives, but our focus should not be on our sin. Our focus should be on our Savior. Two, he wants to accuse you by causing Christians to obsess over past sins when the damage can't be undone. And some of you are thinking about sins from your past right now. Three, he wants to make Christians think that the trouble in their lives are God punishing them for something they did wrong? How many times have you thought to yourself, God, what did I do that caused me to deserve this? God, I'm sorry. God must have let me get sick because of what I did last week. God must have given me this burden because of what I did. I must be paying the price for something I did. If I was, a, if I was, if I was in this situation, God must be mad at me. That's the accusation of the enemy. Here's another one. He wants to make People think that Christians don't have the thoughts and feelings that they have. So he wants to get you to say to yourself, well, if I were a Christian, I wouldn't be having these thoughts or desires. I wouldn't be feeling this way. Do you recognize any of these schemes? Do you recognize any of these devices? 
You'll probably recognize some of them as like, oh, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I struggle with. That's, that's what I tell myself all the time. I, I recognize some of what you're talking about. And so you need to become aware of the devices of the enemy and how he lies to you. You need to recognize, oh, no, no, this is a lie from the enemy. You need to resist his lies. You need to be aware of his strategies. Ask yourself, what strings might the devil want to try to play in you? Where have you given him openings? Remember we said that he plays off of the sin that's already in your heart. That's why it's so good to identify his schemes and allow the Holy Spirit to work out holiness in your life and allow you to become more like Jesus because it gives the devil less to try to work with. Okay, so I want you to understand we were warned against the devil and his strategies and evil. And we're told that our enemy is like a roaring lion. We've seen a roaring lion. It, it, you know, we know what it looks like. Uh, we, we see it's ferocious beasts like this picture here that's coming up. A roaring lion. It's scary. If you go on a, a safari, you don't want to come across that, right? And this is the image that we get of the enemy. And it's not really how I want you to understand the enemy in your life. I want you to understand that there is a threat. I want you to be alert and on guard, but I also want you to have the proper perspective against the enemy. Now, what you're about to see is real. I want you to be calm and please stay in your seats. I assure you, you're under no danger, but please bring out the ferocious beast. Come on out. Now this enemy, it looks like a lion to me. And, and I'll be honest, it could scratch my face off. There is a threat. And it would eat you if you let it. I actually read that first responders will say that if a person dies in their home and is left unattended for more than a day, their pets will start to eat them. It's true. Good luck with that, pet owners. So this, this cat would literally eat you if you let it if you let it. You have an enemy. There is a threat. But when you identify the devices, the schemes that the enemy tries to use, and you become wise to his strategies, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of you, and you know that the power that is in you is greater than the power that the enemy has. See, it starts to, it starts to shrink the threat as the power of Christ swells within you. And I want you to understand what it says in Scripture in 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. That's the enemy because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So you got an enemy, but it's, it's nothing to be scared of, right? You don't need to be afraid of your enemy. You just need to know that there is an enemy. That's good. Thank you. I just did not want to end up on YouTube in an animal rights video today, okay? That was the one thing I was praying. <laughs> As a Christian, the enemy can only destroy you if you let him. You do have an enemy, but you need to know where you stand as a follower of Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, I'm so glad you're at church, but you don't have the same confidence and assurance of hope that we have as Christians. And we'll give you a chance to fix that. But I want you to know what we fight. There's a real enemy, and his strategies are lies and accusations, temptations, 
I want you to know how we fight. How do we fight the enemy? It's with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the armor of God. We're going to talk more in the weeks to come about the armor of God and how you put it on, how you wear it. The gospel is how we fight the enemy. It's not you rebuking the enemy. You don't need to rebuke the enemy. In fact, I wouldn't even recommend it. Even the, the archangel Michael he did not confront the devil on his own without the Lord's help. It says in Jude chapter 1, he said to the enemy, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't rebuke him himself. He said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord is the one who fights our battles. Let me correct another common misconception. Saying the name of Jesus does not cause demons to flee. The Bible does not say that. It's a common misconception and misunderstanding of Scripture. The name of Jesus is not some magic word where like demons are like, ah! Oh, no! <laughs> Acts chapter 19, demons speak the name of Jesus. Some Jews were going around. They were trying to use the name of Jesus like a magic word. They didn't know Jesus. They just knew about him. So they said to a demon-possessed man, uh, demon, I rebuke you in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the, the demon actually spoke to these guys and said, I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? And then the demon proceeded to kick their butts, literally, and sent them running away naked. That's how you know you got your butt kicked. If you sent, you're sent running naked without any clothes. Like, that is a total humiliation. The name of Jesus is not a magic word. It's not a magic word. It's not the name by itself. It's the power the name represents. You need that power within you. Now, let me show you where people get that misconception. It's from James chapter 4, verse 7, which says... Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want you to see this, because a lot of times people forget the first part. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. It's when you submit your life to God, and you recognize his authority, when you recognize your need for a savior, that's how you experience salvation. When you submit yourself to God, that's when you, you say, as a Christian, I'm going to choose to not do the things which displease God. Even when I feel like it, I'm going to resist temptation and do what honors God. And when you do that, you're taking away those strings. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to weed sin out of your heart, and that makes you less vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Do you understand what I'm telling you this morning? I want you to, make, I want you to understand this. And then it doesn't say that, that you're going to fight the devil. It says you're going to resist the devil. You don't need to fight him off actively. You're already standing victorious. You resist his attacks. He wants to harass you. He wants to lie to you and accuse you, but you resist the devil. And guess what? He gives up quickly. He'll flee. He will flee. We see that Satan allowed the devil to tempt him when he went out into the wilderness to fast. He allowed the devil to, to tempt him and lie to him, and he resisted the devil he didn't have to go into an arm wrestling contest with him. He resisted the devil, and the devil fled. You can cause the devil to leave you alone by allowing God to root sin out of your life and resisting him. You have the Holy Spirit within you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So the power that is in you is far greater than any power the enemy has over you. Put on the armor of God and you have nothing to be afraid of. You have nothing to be afraid of. Let me, let me tell you again. You have nothing to be afraid of. If you're afraid of the devil, it's because you don't read your Bible. I wanted you to know that. 
I wanted you to read this. I wanted you to hear it. If you're afraid of the devil, it's because you don't read your Bible. I don't use the Bible when I preach. I don't tell you to read the Bible as a Christian because I want to help you gain religious knowledge. I don't want you to read the Bible because I want to help you get your Christian merit badge for Bible reading. I want you to read scripture so that you can resist the devil and fight off his schemes and not be unnecessarily afraid of an enemy who is already defeated and has no power over you. Why did I say that? Because I want you to stop getting your education on spiritual warfare from Hollywood. You've seen too many, ho- too many Hollywood horror movies, right? I'm not opposed to, I'm not preaching against horror movies. If you want to watch a scary movie, good luck with all that. But I, don't, I personally don't like horror movies that are about demonic things because Satan wants you to believe that he has more power than he really has. He's just as happy if you underestimate him as, as if you overestimate his power. And he, wants the, he loves the idea of you sitting around in your home at night terrified every time the water heater makes a noise going, demons are trying to attack me. And he's sitting there laughing himself. Like, wh- why would you be unnecessarily afraid of the, the enemy? You are victorious. The devil is the father of lies, and he wants you to believe his lies. In Luke chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, though, I can read the words of Jesus. Here's what he said. Look. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Time out. This is not a reason to bring snakes into church ever for any reason. Don't do that. That's insane. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. So Jesus is so, such a good teacher, and he, he shows us the proper perspective in this situation. He assures us and gives us confidence that you have victory over the devil and his demons. They cannot harm you. But he doesn't want us to go out demon hunting. He immediately redirects us to what matters. He says, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Who cares? Rejoice because your name is written in the book of life, and you have a place in heaven. That's why we come to church. That's why we celebrate, because we know we are victorious. We don't need to focus on our enemy. We want to focus on our king. God does not want you to focus on your defeated foe. He wants you to follow your conquering king. That's what he wants. Pastor Ryan, why doesn't the Bible tell us more about the devil and demons? Why don't they explain more? I want to know more. Because you don't need to know more, and God doesn't want you to focus on the enemy. He wants you to focus on your Savior. That's what lifts you up and makes the difference in your life. Charles Spurgeon said, the preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. How do you get the devil out of your life, out of your home, out of your church? Preach Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. And let your life proclaim Jesus. When you resist the devil, he will flee. When the devil sees that you have faith in Jesus and that you're not easily tossed back and forth by his lies, he's going to move on. He might harass you, but he cannot defeat you. You have never been at risk to be defeated because Jesus has never been defeated. We are told clearly in scripture that the devil and his demons have no power over you. Romans 8:38 says, "And I am convinced 
that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He only told us about five times in five different ways that nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. You have every reason to be confident and you have no reason to be afraid if you know the gospel, which is the armor of God for you to wear. The enemy can't hurt you, but you need to believe the gospel. You need to believe what the gospel says. The enemy will come along and try to tempt you, bring you up and puff you up with pride but the gospel will protect you against that. The gospel reminds you, no, I can't get puffed up with pride. I'm a sinner and my sin was so bad. It was so bad that the son of God had to die so that I could be saved. And the devil will come and he'll try to accuse you and, and drag you down and bring you low and get you to hate yourself. And he'll try to remind you of all your sin, but the gospel protects you from that. The gospel says, no, I'm absolutely loved and accepted by God. And he will love me as much three billion years from now as he loves me today. He sees me as he looks at Christ. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you and all the sins which the enemy might accuse you of have already been charged to the account of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you need to know today that we're in a battle, but we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We are already victorious. Our king has already won the battle. We're waiting for him to return. We're still dealing with evil. Our hearts have not been completely purified from the evil of this world, but we know that we are victorious and we don't need to fear. We can be strong in the Lord because Ephesians 6 told us after the battle, you will be standing firm. You will be standing firm. Not you might be standing firm. Once again, you will be standing firm. So you can be confident that the the power of Christ is within you and he will strengthen you to get through any schemes of the enemy. The devil might try to make a flawed person worse, but Jesus makes a flawed person forgiven and he changes your status and your destiny and he takes away all the schemes and strategies of the devil and he stands, he stands victorious in your life so you have no reason to fear. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And first, I want to talk to you if you're a Christian and you're here and you feel like, man, I feel like the enemy has been attacking me in so many ways. I feel like I've been just oppressed and harassed. And I know, I know today I, re I recognize that the enemy has been lying to me. The enemy has been trying to either tempt me or accuse me. God wanted you to be aware of these schemes so that you could be encouraged and stand firm. The first thing you want to do is if you're a Christian and you have sin that you've allowed to sit in your life and exist there, you want to confess and repent of that sin and allow the Holy Spirit to weed it out of your heart so you take away a foothold for the enemy to try to use against you. So just do that right now. If there's something in your life that you feel like you need to confess to God, by confessing to him and receiving his grace and his mercy, it's helping you to stand firm against the enemy. And you know that he loves you you know that he is ready to forgive you at any moment, that his mercy covers over any sin. 
I want you to have confidence this morning as a Christian that God is with you and you have no reason to fear the enemy. And maybe you're here today, maybe you came to church with a friend and you're sitting here thinking, man, I'm not in good shape right now because I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. Well, you can today and the enemy wants to tempt you and accuse you hoping that you won't accept Jesus into your life. He'll try to tempt you and say, well, you don't want to be a Christian. You don't want to give up all the things you like to do. Or or he'll try to accuse you and say, no, you're too bad of a person. God could never love you. But neither of those are true. You are a sinner, but Jesus died for your sins so you could be forgiven. And the blood of Jesus is strong enough to wash away any sin in our life. And there is no temptation in this world. There's no sinful pleasure that outweighs the glory of being a a part of God's family and being victorious over sin and death. Jesus Jesus said, I came to give you life to the full, to the full which means that his ways are better than any of the things that sin has to offer. So maybe you're here and you're like, I want to be accepted by God and forgiven. I want to be victorious. I want to not have to fear the enemy. You can do that today. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved and you have confidence in this. It's not by being a good person. It's through faith in Jesus that God saves you by his grace. It's a gift. It's a gift that you can't earn, you can simply receive. And if you're ready to take that step today, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned. I believe that I need your forgiveness. I also believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he came to earth and he died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And because he already paid the price, I can be forgiven by you. So I believe that he did it and he paid the price. And I also believe that three days later, he rose again because he has conquered sin and death. And so now I'm putting my faith in you, Lord. I'm gonna follow you. I thank you for making me victorious over sin and death. Help me to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Thank you that you never have left me or forsaken me and that I don't have to go through this alone. I'm looking to you, Jesus. I'm gonna keep my focus on you from this day forward in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer today, I want to recognize what God is doing in your life. I'm not going to embarrass you, but we want to celebrate with you. If you said, hey, today I chose to put my faith in Jesus and stand victorious, I want you just to shoot your hand up on the count of three. One, God loves you. Two, he brought you for a purpose. Three, sir, that is awesome. Shoot your hand up if you accepted Jesus today. Anyone else? Yes. Awesome in the back. Anyone else over here? So good. I think I saw four hands in this service. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to take a moment and give God praise and remember, we're going to put our focus on Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. We're not trying to achieve this victory on our own. Jesus has already won the victory for us. Come on, let's give him praise.